Welcome to the Dent City Podcast, a show that discusses academic articles and books on the topic of cities with the researchers who write them. I'm your host, Becca Mares. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Ann Harris, who is an associate professor in the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. Anne is an epidemiologist interested in patterns of disease and injuries in populations and particularly committed to studying and improving the methods used to conduct this type of research. She is interested in developing new ways to study occupational and transportation risk relationships. This includes the linkage of large administrative data sets and population-based survey and cohort data. We're talking about her paper entitled Estimating Walking and Bicycling in Canada and Their Road Collision Fatality Risks, The Need for a National Household Travel Survey. It was recently published in Preventative Medicine Reports with lead author Michael Branion Callis, Kay Teschke, Mika Kuhorn, and Osvaldo Espin Garcia. This paper was premised on the idea that Canada should have a national household travel survey, which it does not. This is something that is regularly done in other countries, such as tallying up users, trips, kilometer traveled for each mode, and the potential data collected in such a survey would give decision makers necessary information to make informed decisions about walking and cycling. For epidemiologists, these data are necessary for comparisons of injury risks between transportation modes. So please welcome, without further ado, Dr. Anne Harris. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Considering the premise of your article, walk us through the purpose. So we really wanted to do a direct comparison of national data that we have available in Canada to kind of track walking and bicycling. And this has been an issue faced by members of our research team and the broader research community and lots of different types of practitioners for a long time. So we wanted to do a head-head comparison of kind of two different sources of national data. And then we wanted to also look at how calculating the numbers and amount of use of bicycling and walking using these data sources would affect a calculation of fatality risk for walking and bicycling, because that's one of the applications where we need this type of data, especially as epidemiologists, we, we kind of wanna gather information on the amount of use so that we can characterize when we observe injuries and fatalities, we know sort of out of how many those injuries and fatalities are occurring. So then walk us through some of that background literature that you use to inform this paper. Sure. So I think one set of literature that we really were referring to or looking at uh, were papers by John Puker and Ralph Bueller. And they do a number of papers on kind of the amount of walking and bicycling comparing different countries. They're U.S.-based. And they'll compare sort of the amount of kilometers traveled in the US versus European countries. And they do a lot of international comparisons. They'll look at fatality risks over time. They just recently had a paper come out where they looked at trends in fatality risks 
per kilometer travel, trip traveled, et cetera, comparing different countries to look at the trends. And Canada is often not included in these papers mm -hmm. or it's included with an asterisk because we don't have yeah. a national travel survey comparable to the US or some of these European countries uh, that gives us information on simple things that we need to know, like the number of kilometers traveled by each mode of transportation. So we, we don't have a national data source on that information. What is our current knowledge on how many people travel? Like, how do we get this um, data right now? So right now we have a few different ways that we try to get at this. Some municipal regions or greater municipal regions conduct their own household travel surveys that would have similar methodology to the national travel surveys in other countries. And the foundation of that would be a trip diary. So you would sort of take people and for a week or two weeks uh, after you randomly select people or you select them based on all the different ways you would do survey methodology, you would then ask them to complete over the course of a week or two weeks uh, a diary that says every time they leave the house for any purpose where they're traveling, tell us what mode you used, what distance you traveled, maybe how long it took, etc. So now we would have a lot of information about where you went and how you traveled. So we would be able to do amass that across the entire response of the survey to get that information. So Sometimes we have these regional surveys, but on a national level, we don't have anything like that. There are lots of regions that don't have these surveys and there's no, no sort of consistent national approach. So a couple of our options, which is what we explore in this paper, two of our options are to use the census, Canada's uh, national census, which has in the long form of the census, a journey to work module We'll talk more about that. And then the Canadian Community Health Survey, uh, for a while, <laughs> because it's changed a bit, had information on active transportation or use of walking and bicycling for leisure and to work in school. Um, and this fluctuates over time, and their availability of those questions. And it's primarily queried because that's a health survey and they want to understand people's physical activity. So those are kind of two of our data sources that we have. Um, and they, they, neither one of us gives ex exactly what we need. So that's kind of what our paper is about. When I was living in Vancouver, I filled out a survey on trip diary, trip diary information. But in Waterloo, I have yet to fill out this sort of survey because the municipality doesn't collect it. It may not have enough funding resources to collect this sort of information. And as you said, there's not this Canada wide um, collection on my trips. Yeah, in Ontario, we have this transportation tomorrow survey and its coverage expands every year. Um, so it, it started as kind of a GTA thing, but it's expanded a lot. And I don't know off the top of my head if Waterloo is now included, um, but we so we do have that and it has expanded partly to fill this gap uh, but there are so many uh, rural, smaller towns, like you said, cities that don't have the resources. And then 
if they're kind of done ad hoc, then it's also harder to compare between regions. Uh, whereas if we have something done consistently, like we see in the US or kind of my dream is the UK, because I think they collect some really great travel data. Um, imagine if we had an annual survey that gave us that information, just how much more we would know. Yeah. And then what about for this sort of collision fatality information on um, crashes and stuff like that? Yeah. So this, <laughs> that's a, another whole kettle of fishes. <laughs> like how do we count collisions? How do we count um, injuries that occur to people? And do we just count collisions? Because of course people can be injured either walking or bicycling without a collision. But for the purposes of this paper, uh, initially, this paper was just going to be comparing uh, calculations and estimation from the census and from the Canadian Community Health Survey. And when my postdoc, Michael Branion Callis, joined the team, he said, you know, he looked at this paper, which was kind of languishing. It had been through a few submissions and people didn't like it. it happens, you know, methods papers are tough no matter what. But he said, you know, you're sort of trying to make the point that if you were to use these as denominators, they would give you very different answers and they would kind of tell you a different story. So you're sort of trying to make that point, but what if you show that rather than tell that and actually do some calculations of risk using this national collisions database? So that was one of his major contributions to this paper was to add that component, do those calculations, rewrite the paper kind of around that. And so the National Collision Database is uh, a national database in Canada and the provinces submit their own kind of surveillance data on collisions. So it is based on collisions rather than any type of road injury. It's specifically those that are collisions with motor vehicles. Um, they would have to be reported or come to the attention of police in some way. So again, that just underscores that they would be collisions, motor vehicles would be involved. and. Um, we decided because we know that there's underreporting of pedestrian and bicyclist injuries to police, and we know that from data from other countries, we decided that we would just look at fatalities because we think those are more um, completely ascertained. Fatalities are less likely to be missed. So we did that partly as a demonstration to show, well, here's how we would want to use compiled information on the number of people and amount of walking and bicycling. Here's an application that we as epidemiologists are interested in. And here's what it looks like when we try to do this yeah. with these two different data sources. Mm -hmm. Showing that potentially we also underreport other cases as well. It makes a difference. Yeah, it makes a difference to interpretation whether or not you have a fully accurate picture of out of how many, how many kilometers were traveled, how many injuries, how much opportunity was there for people to get injured. We need to know that so that we can characterize injury. So then walk us through your methodology. How did you do it? So we, we pulled down data from the census and the census, which a lot of people are filling out right now, because I think this is census week. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people will have received information for how to complete their 21 census. 
Um, the census for the last 25 years in the long form of the census, which you'll know if you got the long form or the short form. Yes, I got the short form, unfortunately. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's funny because it's it's all kind of policy, demographic, researcher types who are like, give me that long form. I, yes. ca I can't wait. Whereas for some people, it might be a mild inconvenience yes. to get the long form. I was so disappointed. Uh -oh. We, you know got a glass of wine we sat down at the desk and ah oh, to our disappointment you clicked to open <laughs> so if people are wondering their odds i think it's between uh it varies from cycle to cycle and i'm not totally up to date but it's between one fifth to one quarter wow, wow. of canadian households get the long form and it's very long it's one of our only sources of national information not just on transportation but also on things like occupation of the population because it asks your occupation it will have a question on if you work outside the home which i think will be a little unusual this year because of the pandemic and so it has many questions the languages ethnicity lots of really important information goes on to that long form census so it's a hugely detailed and important thing and since 1996 it has included a module on journey to work and it asks about the mode of transportation that you use to get to work. So this only applies to people who work outside the home. It only applies um, to, you can only indicate one mode of transportation. So you're instructed to only indicate the mode that you use for the longest distance. So that means it's, it's a little bit limiting um, during pre-pandemic times, I had a lot of colleagues at Ryerson University who would take the GO train. So that's like a, a fairly long distance commute. Um, and then they would walk uh, from where the GO train drops them off to campus. So they were getting an active commute because that might be a 20 to 30 minute walk depending on their route. Um, but we would really only capture them as train commuters because that's the longest distance that they travel. Of course, so multimodal trips wouldn't be captured in that journey to work data. Exactly, they're not captured. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one limitation. It also asks about your commute with respect to a reference time. So that would be the period before census day by maybe a week or as of census day, if, if you worked on census day. So it's, again, it doesn't give us sort of a picture of what you do all year, it's a snapshot of one moment in time. And census is collected in the spring, so that would also maybe affect the interpretation because conditions might be more um, favorable to people using active transportation on those times. So that's kind of some of the issues around the census. So that was one data source that we used. And then we use the Canadian Community Health Survey, and this is Canada's National Health Survey. It goes out every year. They do data collection every year. Used to be they collected it every other year. Now they collect it every year, um, but they summarize the data for public release in these sort of uh, two-year chunks. Okay. So if you want to get the full data for a public use, which is what we used, that comes out every other year. They collect data year round. So you don't necessarily know when the response that you're looking at was gathered 
you don't know what season, but you know that collectively when you sum it all up, you're getting a picture of kind of year round. And is that the same 25% sort of uh, population? That's a great question. No, it is a much smaller survey. So yeah, it is in the tens of thousands as opposed to in the millions. Yeah. And how do they know who to send out surveys to? Yeah, great point. These are good methodological questions. (laughs) So Statistics Canada runs the Canadian Community Health Survey. So they have a system, a complex uh, survey design to try to maximize representativeness across the country. So they use a kind of combination of it's like a multi-stage sampling. So they'll use a combination of cluster, stratified, et cetera. Um, And then they use survey weights to communicate to us users how much to count each response so that we get representative estimates. So we use those as well. So yeah, a little bit of a different method and a slightly smaller um, sample. Still very large by comparison to some small surveys, but smaller than the census. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they, the CCHS goes out to people who are 12 years and older um, and are potentially counted. And in the census, um, in the journey to work, that only applies to people who are 15 and older. So for our paper, we just limited everything to 15 and older to try to make them roughly comparable. Um, Although they're not comparable, which is sort of part of the point. Yes. And another limitation where we don't really get school age children journeyed to school. Yeah, that's something that's really missing. And that's a, a really key point that we do not have good, consistent travel data on kids. And anybody who's looking at kids school travel really needs good, consistent data. Um, I believe in the U.S. That, that the National Travel Survey goes down to age five. Um, so that would be something that would help. And we would probably want to include all ages. I think it's assumed that small children, babies are really kind of tied to their parents' travel. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be good to measure that and understand it. So the Canadian Community Health Survey is this really broad health survey that's done nationally. And they release public use microdata files that are accessible, for example, through university libraries. I think there's some efforts now to make them directly downloadable, but these are really useful because they're free. We can use them, access them, and it gives us some information. Now there's some exclusions to the Canadian Community Health Survey um, because it excludes institutionalized populations. It excludes people living on reserve in Canada. So it's, it's, not an ideal data source to really capture national travel behavior. Um, contrast that with the census, where we we actually do include a broader range of all Canadians, because that's sort of the purpose of the census. Um, the Canadian Community Health Survey is designed to give us information on people's health. So they're asking about walking and bicycling kind of in that context. They're trying to assess people's physical activity. Um, And so they ask about leisure and their definition of leisure is activity that is not done for the purposes of work. 
So what, how people interpret that, I think is a question um, that you would probably be an expert on, um, <laughs> but that is how they frame leisure. So it's not necessarily your journey to work, which could be by bike or walking or your colleagues on the go train reading yeah. along the way. <laughs> it, exactly. It specifically would exclude commuting. Uh, for much of its history. Then in 2008, they added some questions to ask about your trip to work or school. So they com combined both of those possible destinations and then asked separately about those. So we kind of have some analyses of those data. And then in 2016, they overhauled completely and now they no longer ask directly about walking and bicycling. They ask a broad question about active transportation. So one of the purposes of our paper was just to track all the changes in these questions over the years. So we have a big appendix that people can download where all of those questions are compared iteration by iteration. We see this as being kind of a bit of reference material and um, also something that we wanted to have so that we could cite this to say, well, this is how we were calculating. For example, we summed this to make denominators for this calculation and we wanted to sort of be able to point to something where people could really dig in and, and be able to replicate what we're doing if we're using that. So then we take those two data sources and we did relatively simple analyses on them. So we did kind of counts of the number of users. We split it out by men and women, which just both of these data sources have a simple dichotomous sex variable. So it's, it's uh, overly simplified, but we split it into men and women. We looked at kind of proportions, percentages. We had an initial iteration comparisons by province but they got a little bit messy and were hard to interpret. So we decided to just limit ourselves to look at the national data to really underscore this question of what do we need for national data? And then we did a calculation of the number of fatalities per 100,000 users of that mode. So how many walking fatalities were there per number of walkers, depending on how we calculated it. And then for the Canadian Community Health Survey, one of the things about its design is it asks you how many times did you do this activity over the last three months? And that gives us the opportunity to create estimates of the number of trips that might've occurred by walking or bicycling. And so then we could do fatality calculations of the, fatal the fatality risk per 10 million trips. So then, what were your findings from this analysis? One of the key findings is that the Canadian Community Health Survey, the CCHS, measures, captures a lot more people walking and bicycling than the census, just because of what we've already been through of how it characterizes it. It's asking you, when did you go walking for leisure purposes and then for certain years also for work or school? And the census really is so narrow because it just asks about your trip to work. So the CCHS gives us a, a much higher estimate of the number of users. The abs absolute counts are very different. Um, we found that there were more men bicycling than women in all of the data sources, uh, which is pretty consistent with other observations, and more women walking than men in all the data sources. 
Uh, it looks like those are those ratios might be changing a little bit. Uh, the number of women who bicycle to work as their primary form of commute from the census more than doubled between 96 and 2016. Um, it's still a very small proportion of all commutes, but it is increasing. So we, we saw some little trends like that. Um, we also found that there were some potential trends in fatality risk. It looks like the fatality risk might be declining for a lot of these modes, but differently by gender and differently by how we capture this out of how many question, the number of users or the number of kilometers traveled. So the fatalities per user and per trip were higher in men and women for both walking and bicycling. Again, that's relatively consistent with other observations, but these look like they're coming closer together. So it looks like women are, their risks are not declining as fast as men, or in, in some cases, depending on how we capture that denominator, it looks like it might even be slightly increasing. We don't have a lot of confidence in these underlying trends just because of the limitations of these data. So um, yeah. it's, it's hard to really sort of nail down, well, what are we really seeing in part because there's all these limitations. The choice of how you construct that risk estimate, what you use to tell you out of how many makes a huge difference to interpretation. And I don't think any of them are exactly right. So you can kind of look at the paper if you want to see the charts of this and compare them directly. Um, so how, how many Canadians are actually biking and walking um, for commuting, for leisure? What, what are the numbers on that? So in the most recent cycle of the CCHS that we can include because it asked these particular questions, which was the 13-14 cycle, uh, we found that there were 20.3 million Canadians who reported walking for leisure and 6.2 million Canadians bicycling for leisure. When we look at work or school from the CCHS, it was 4.5 million Canadians walking to work or school and all, 0.9 million, almost 1 million who are bicycling to work or school. And with the more restrictive census data, we don't see those same numbers because it's just more restrictive. We found that uh, 1 million Canadians approximately had a active form of commute, but most of those were walking, 0.9 million walking and 0.2 million bicycling. So it's, it depends a lot on how you ask the question, where you arrive on this question of how many Canadians are doing these activities. So over a three month period uh, between say the 2008 and 2014 cycle, we we're talking billions of trips um, that people are making by walking and bicycling to school or for leisure. So this, this every year there's sort of billions of trips that are made. I mean, I think the problem is that if, if we rely so heavily on the census, if that is our main source of information, on how the uptake, for example, of active transportation. If our primary data source would be the census, we would really conclude a much smaller uptake than what we actually have. 
And yet when people argue the sort of, oh, it's just a small portion of the population, it's really false. <laughs> it's kind of one of the problems and why we need uh, why we need a national travel survey, which is what I would, yeah. that's kind of one of the things I'd really like to see happen. How about using this research in practice? What are Canadians supposed to do? What are policymakers supposed to do in this instance? Yeah, so I think especially because of the fact that so many regions in Canada cannot conduct a regional travel survey, and because it's so important to have national data, I think we should be looking at a national household travel survey, which would help us capture some of these questions that we've talked about today, get at some of the different populations that are being missed, and just have a fuller picture of what our travel behaviors are, and that would, again, help us do calculations for risk and so many other things, applications, where people would want this information. So Canada just announced last month in April the first national active transportation strategy. And I looked at it before we <laughs> met up today, and I noticed that it's framed around this acronym, ACTIVE. Which, which they have standing for awareness, coordination, targets, investments, value, experience. And if you kind of read about Canada's national active transportation strategy, every element relies on good information about how much active transportation we're doing in Canada. And so I really think that having a national household travel survey should be a foundational part of this national active transportation strategy. And it's on my to-do list to write to the minister. And so many regions do have regional travel surveys. We don't wanna sort of reinvent the wheel or duplicate effort because a lot has been invested in these. Uh, so it would be great to do as a future research project, some comparisons of these regional household travel surveys to kind of compare their methodology of how they're conducted in Canada and kind of give them the credit that they deserve for these municipal regions and, and provincial regions that have done their own surveys. So I think that's, that's one way we could apply this um, to make sure that we're not sort of giving short shrift to that uh, work that's already been done, but build it into what we really need, which is a, a national survey. And we kind of do a comparison in this paper of the two data sources we used and kind of our ideal national household travel survey. And so that could be a jumping off point as well. We have in Statistics Canada, a really great resource. They know how to build survey methodology. Uh, but we also know that there is existing questionnaire based methodology or how to construct those surveys and what information should be gathered. We know that exists in some of these regional surveys. And then we know that the questions might be slightly different or we might have different types of um, objectives at a national level. And what are some of the barriers that you see? You know, this is at our fingertips. What's something that could be potentially stopping this from going, going forward? I, I wish I was an expert in that side of things because I, it's not something that I necessarily no, how do you get a new national survey off the ground? It's definitely <laughs> not something that I know about. And I wouldn't want to pretend to be an expert in that. I, what I would hope that we could do is sort of be a resource to say, well, here's some national data that you already have. Here's what it's missing. That's kind of what our paper does. And then to sort of help 
underscore this need. Because I think part of what might be happening is that there's just not necessarily an awareness out in, depending on who is constructing an active transportation strategy, they may not necessarily know that this is data that are missing. Because depending on where they're located, maybe they have really good regional data or, you know, I don't want to pretend that I could be in their head to know everything. Um, and I know that part of the question could be cost as well, because uh, a national survey is very expensive, but if if there's a question of sort of duplicating resources, this might alleviate some of the resources at the regional level. So it, it could end up being more efficient in the long run. And what about just creating a better journey to work question or journey for any other reason on the census? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question whether we should build this into the census or whether it should be its own standalone survey. I advocate for its own standalone survey. So these other countries that do national household travel surveys, they still ask on their census about journey to work because there are things about the census that make it advantageous to include. But you know, the long form census is already pretty long and adding a trip diary, I think would be um, a, like a non-starter. That's, that's, my, that's my sense. So we want too detailed a data to include it in the census. That's right. So just like the, the long-form census asks about people's occupation and whether they were working on census day, and that kind of gives us some snapshot of information, but we still conduct a labor force survey to kind of track what's happening to employment across the year. So if you want detailed data, then you sort of need it, your own survey. Are there any other opportunities for future research that um, perhaps you or your colleagues are going <laughs> to partake in? Yeah, I mean, we have we have a few different studies kind of that are related to this or or, or somewhat flow out of it. So we have a study um, where we're looking at linked data from the census. So one of the neat things that Statistics Canada has done is they've taken the census previous iterations and they've linked it to health data so that we can see, well, what happens to these census users? So based on their responses to the census, what can we observe about their health? And so we have a study where we're looking at injury, uh, road traffic injury, that presented to hospital and what type of mode of commute people were using. So that is um, Michael Brandy and Callis, the postdoc who led this paper that we're talking about today. That is also a project that he's leading as well. Uh, we, in part in response to looking at the CCHS and this question of within the CCHS, this health survey, there are people who talked about walking and bicycling for work versus work or school versus leisure. So what's the difference between people who bicycle for leisure and people who bicycle for work or school? And Cashlin Firth has led a project that I'm a part of and Michael's a part of to look at this and kind of compare those leisure users to the work or school commuters. So that's a project that's come out of it as well. What about the sort of trip for any purpose? What about for shopping or to, yeah, things like so that? So that's a really good question is what, what do we have to get at the question of travel for purposes other than specifically laid out as either leisure or work or school? 
And I'm not clear, for example, on whether people who take the CCHS would interpret bicycling to the grocery store as a leisure trip. It doesn't feel like leisure when you do that, or at least my perception would not be to think of it as leisure. But if leisure is defined as every type of travel that's not, or every type of activity that's not work-related, maybe it is. So that's an open question. Um, wouldn't it be great to have, just tell me where you went and why? Yeah. That's, yeah. What, a, that's what a travel trip diary survey would do. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. It says, if you're leaving the house, tell me, where are you going? What are you up to? Where, you know, <laughs> why are you leaving the house? And um, what mode of transportation are you using to get there? How far away are you going? This would give us this information. Um, Hugo LaChapelle, who's at UCAM, has done some uh, analyses using the general social survey, which doesn't have a trip diary. It has a time use diary. So it says, what did you do with your time? And it's a smaller sample even than the CCHS, but he's done some analyses of that to try to get at this question of people leaving or traveling for different purposes or multimodal trips. So we do have some little ways of trying to tackle that. We just don't have the overall way that we need, which is a a true trip diary, which does exist at regional level, but not national level. But it's, it's definitely a challenging question as to how should this be done? Who should be in charge of it? Um, yeah, and I'd love to learn more about how, and maybe that will be one of my objectives going forward is to learn more about these policy decisions of how do we decide what data to collect on a national level and how can we build some long-term reliable information that's gonna be consistently collected so that we can analyze it and have that as a foundation for so many questions relevant to active transportation. And on that note, do you have anything that you wanna leave the listeners with today? The dream is that we would have a a whole composite like suite of measures where we measure, for example, trip diary survey. We also have lots of volume collection observations on the roads where we look at volumes at different locations and different cities are working on that. And if we could compile all of this information, we would just be so much further ahead on asking some really basic questions about what do Canadians, how do they get from place to place how safe is it for them to get from place to place and what choices are they making in the type of transportation that they're using? Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. today. Yeah. Thanks Becca. Bye. Bye. That's it for now. And thank you so much for listening. A big thanks to Anne for joining us on this episode. Follow the link in the show notes to read the paper we spoke about today. And you can also learn more about Anne's work on her Google Scholar page or follow her on Twitter at Harris. That's M-A-N-N-E-H-A-R-R-I-S. Be sure to share and subscribe for future updates on episodes and contact me on Twitter at DensityPod to keep the conversation going. A special thanks to Emily Huang of Emily H. Illustrations for creating the artwork for this podcast. You can check out more of her work by following the link in the show notes. Another thank you to Reed Kai and Ryan Kinnear for the show music. See you next time on Dense City.